Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast, and in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Hello, this is Kat, and we're back for another season of chats with how to take yoga off the mat. And today's chat is with a real champion of change. Her name is Freddie Sardes, and she is a real master of adaptive yoga. And this conversation is all about how how yoga can be a truly inclusive practice. There's been a lot of talk lately about diversity in yoga, and there's actually been very little action. But it's interesting to think, well, what is adaptive yoga? What does inclusivity mean? How can we make the yoga practice a practice which is for everybody? So with no further ado, I think that you'll really, really enjoy this conversation with Freddie. Take care. So hi, Freddie. It's wonderful to be joined by you. And it's amazing because we have actually recorded this once, but we're now going again because the sound issues weren't going well. So thank you very much for your time twice over. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to join you again. And thank you for the not giving up, you know, for the, the two of us not giving up. And uh, and I think it's going to be an interesting conversation where we're five months or something down the line and the world has changed in the meantime, our needs, our desires, all of that is a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure has. And in fact, all the conversations around yoga and inclusivity have happened. So this is actually a really interesting time for us to be talking in a time where lots of other people in the well-being industries are also talking about inclusivity. To me, it's, um, it's a very important subject. On the one hand, from the perspective of being um, an adaptive yoga teacher for the last seven, eight years, so someone who teaches specialist classes for people living with disability, uh, primarily mobility disability, on the one hand that, and then on the other hand from being the mother of a mixed race uh, daughter who's 15 and who's suddenly hit by everything that we've, we've seen unfolding in America in particular. Mm-hmm. So a burning, a burning subject, I think. Yeah, and a subject which has, I think, been long overdue coming up into the air, especially in the yoga industry. Absolutely. Um, because we have been so uninclusive. We've been so white, all about young people and young bendy women who look a certain way. Yeah, (laughs) I can't help but laugh because um, I I only use Instagram very little, Mm -hmm. and um, and occasionally I don't know if you've seen like the 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 feature on Instagram. If you do just a search, it's going to suggest a lot of things. So of course, because Mm -hmm. my Instagram page is yoga related, then it suggests a lot of things about yoga. And every time I look at it, I, I think, whoa, <laughs> what's this yoga mm-hmm. world that I see on Instagram? Mm-hmm. I don't recognize it whatsoever. I would call it yoga slash porn. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. so much 
um, the girls are revealing so much of their bodies. Mm -hmm. And and I can see when I, you know, look at what are the responses from people that it's got nothing to do with yoga. It's attracting a crowd that's uh, very voyeur-like in response. Mm -hmm. So um, I take reassurance in knowing that at the end of the day, the people that we do meet in our church hall classes, in our community um, halls or smaller studios, it's the grassroots yoga going on. It's happening. And and that is when I was um, teaching, I let go of teaching in, in London last year after, after almost 20 years of teaching in London. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really the contrast that I saw between the bigger, more famous yoga studios in London mm-hmm. that were beginning to think about becoming inclusive. Uh, but I've got, I would think, quite a way to go. And then teaching in places like in Portobello at local community gyms, where mm-hmm. when I started 20 years ago, the classes were already very mixed, you know, men, women, people of all different ethnic backgrounds, people with different abilities. And for me, that's mm-hmm. always been the real yoga and not not yeah. what I see when I go for a, a senior teacher workshop in a in a more famous studio in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. And that was one of my reasons for setting up Movement for Modern Life, just to so that yoga could be accessible to everyone. Because the studios which I were going to, you know, years ago, they were also already, they were only for a certain kind of person. Uh, and, and even for me, you know, I supposedly was that kind of person. I felt I felt left out. Yes, I saw it. Um, so the, the the work that I do in adaptive yoga and yoga for people with disability is in the lineage of Matthew Sanford, who's a teacher mm-hmm. based in, in America in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And I started learning with Matthew in 2011. Uh, the following year, I went to the States to train with him in adaptive yoga and then came back to the UK, started the first adaptive yoga in London, which was at the Westway in Portobello. And and we were lucky at that time, Matthew was traveling over to London once a year to teach uh, a series of workshops at Tri Yoga. And um, so very quickly what I did, I, I knew that when I'd gone to attend his, his training in America, adaptive student participation was a very big part of our learning. And once I had a class established here in London, I said to Matthew, you know, if you want to lean on it, lean on, on this group of students that I've been com- coming and are the most committed students that I have across all the classes that I teach. So we did it. We organized it for the following year. And, um, and I had, you know, six, seven, eight adaptive students from the Westway turn up, um, a try yoga in, in, um, central one in in Soho and they it was a real culture shock for them and I really Mm -hmm. felt because I could see on on my students faces the the sense of what am I doing here I don't belong Mm -hmm. and and there were you know difficulties in accessing the toilet difficulties in accessing the room all of this was going on but it was also coming into a space where you feel like the you're the odd one out and that's that's very intimidating, and it's particularly, mm. I think, um, 
we don't realize how much courage it's going to take for someone living with disability to turn up to their first yoga class. Mm-hmm. And if and if the whole setup, if the whole environment is reinforcing the idea that what are you doing here? You don't belong here. It's mm-hmm. it's very disempowering, um, and and it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen in in any yoga studio, in any yoga class. Well, it shouldn't happen in any walk of life. It shouldn't happen. But anywhere. in yoga, in yoga, yoga, which is meant to be about unity, we're all the same. It's about connection. It's about connecting with our bodies, whatever our bodies are at right now. It's literally the opposite of yoga. Mm-hmm. I think. I think part of. I could be wrong on this, but my sense is part of the issue into how accessible is yoga truly at the moment. And and mm. and I'm going to dare say we've come a long way in the last two three years, but we still mm. have plenty to to go. I think part mm. of the the hurdles we're facing is that what has become highly popular, what has become mm. the yoga that sells, tends to be mm. heavily asana based, yeah, and tends to be heavily performance based with the asana. Mm-hmm. And the consequence of that is, I I see it, you know, when I when I speak with uh, yoga teachers, colleagues. A lot of them wouldn't know how to welcome someone with different needs into into their class. They wouldn't know mm. how to integrate someone who cannot, for instance, lunge into a mm-hmm. flow class. And mm-hmm. so it's it's really about as a community of teachers, I think, as a community of teachers and studio owners, taking the mm-hmm. time to sit down and and choosing to support financially a class that's going to be more a community class where the style of yoga taught might not be a style of yoga that seems um, one that will bring in money. Because at the, at the end of the day, we, we're hitting that question as well. Accessibility is difficult at the moment, whether it is for socioeconomic reasons or whether it is for physical reasons. Mm-hmm. We can't, I see it, you know, with the lockdown and, and taking all my classes onto Zoom, I lost mm-hmm. my adaptive students. It breaks my heart. I lost my adaptive students okay. because they couldn't afford to, to carry on and to pay for classes. You know, and so if we've got if we've got the main yoga studios doing an hour and a half class for eighteen pounds or something like this, it's completely completely out of reach for too much of the population. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a few different different things that are making yoga un- uninclusive for people. Mm-hmm. And then it's a question of, well, what do you think that we as yogis and the industry can do? So I'm, I'm going to do a little side thing to a conversation mm-hmm. I had a few days ago with a, a lovely woman who is based in Edinburgh and teaches Egyptian belly dance. And she was saying to me, um, we were talking about physique and, and needs, and I had the, the false impression that you needed, that belly dance attracted people that were very flexible. And then she said, well, actually, mm-hmm. no, someone who's hypermobile. Uh, we would need to teach them to really contain the body, which is a little bit similar to what we see going on with yoga. 
Mm. And then she went on to explain to me that, um, I said, because for me, I have this image of belly dancing, um, really suiting the more voluptuous figure and, and women. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't meet them. They're not coming to my class. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, it's a discussion that's come up many times. I'm skinny and I'm skinny white young woman. And these are the clients that have started coming to her classes. And she's had larger body ladies say they would like to come, but it felt awkward. They felt inadequate. They felt shy. And so we've got some of that, I think, going on. And 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 jokingly, I said, it will take one. It will take one to join your class for the whole image of your class to change. And I've seen it um, here. I'm, I'm based in Marlow in Buckinghamshire. And my my most popular class currently has more men attending than women. Mm-hmm. And I think it is all down to one student who's 85 who joined us about five, six years ago. And he is... I, I can feel every time a new guy joins the class and they look at him and they're like, you know, he's an inspiration. He's a role model that they did not expect to see in a yoga class. And I think it's these little tweaks that need to happen. I'm, I'm delighted to see that uh, Donna Noble has become such a, a figurehead in the yoga world for larger body classes mm-hmm. um, because it needs to happen. We need to change the image of yoga via the media, via social media, via the magazines, via uh, the big yoga shows, all of that, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good start. And the other thing would be, I think, maybe to give actual instruction for people with different bodies because even for a larger body, a lot of the instructions which are very normal are stopped you know, you can't, you can't do this if you have a bigger body, if you have a body which is different proportions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there again, I think, um, I think a couple of things can happen. You can have a class set up where maybe, uh, let me rephrase this differently. I've got a few students in my classes that are larger body ladies and we're able each time to turn it into a co-creation moment, you know, where Mm -hmm. I go, well, I've got no idea how to do this. Like, you know, if, if Mm -hmm. trying shoulder stand and their bosom, you know, gets in the way and they Mm -hmm. can't breathe. And I go, well, mine's Mm -hmm. never got in the way. You know, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. small chested. So I've never felt that as a, as a difficulty. And so I think Mm -hmm. in that, in that respect, it's like, how each teacher is going to deal with the um, the hurdle that comes up is mm-hmm. going to make it feel uncomfortable or comfortable for the participant. And that could be mm-hmm. the difference between someone choosing that they wouldn't dare go back to their class because they felt ashamed of needing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on the one hand, it's can we as teachers – Always remember to to be there and greet each and every single person who comes in as someone who wants to be seen, someone who wants to be validated, someone who wants to be accepted as they are. And yoga, in my eyes, yoga is meant to fit the person, not the person to fit the yoga. 
And so I think that's the starting point. And then as teachers to maybe also be humble enough to recognize that uh, a few things might be lacking in our in our skill set that, you know, I could probably do with a, a brief course with someone like Donna Noble, Noble to, to learn the language and to learn the modifications to teach larger body participants in the same way that someone else may want to come to one of my teacher trainings to learn about working with an amputee or wheelchair user or a person who's visually impaired. Mm. Yeah, that sounds um, sensible, frankly. Mm. And the other thing that um, strikes me as something that's interesting within the conversation of dealing with different bodies, bodies that look and act differently, and bodies during different life stages, well, some of us sometimes get injured. In fact, all of us at some stage will get injured or ill at some stage. Do you deal and help people who are recovering from illnesses? Hugely, hugely. I I think um, partly because I come to yoga in the first place because of chronic pain. come to yoga in the Mm -hmm. first place because of, of injury and right from the age of 20, I'm now 50, so right from the age of 20, 22, I can't cope unless I go and receive body work at least twice a month. Uh, Of course, that's not sustainable. So within a few years, you know, I decided um, I turned to yoga and and found a way to manage my own pain and my own discomfort. Um, So even though my initial teacher training was in Ashtanga and Iyengar Mm -hmm. as, as yoga traditions, once I was back in London and I started teaching, I found, particularly in the one-to-one setup, I found that people might have said initially, oh, I need to do yoga because I'm, I'm stiff. And then once we got to know one another, they, they would talk about IBS, they would talk about insomnia, or they would talk about mm-hmm. uh, needing a hip replacement or, oh, you know, oh, I never told you, you know, I had surgery on my shoulder and I can't do this, so I can't do that. Mm. Um, and, and it turns out that actually that's where my passion lies. You know, I think I, I thrive on, on the notion of how can we use the, the vast range of yoga practices, of poses, of pranayama, of meditation, of all of this to, to support the body towards healing. Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the work I do and and my, my gut feeling would be to say it's probably a big part of the work that most of us do. I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it, it's probably a small minority that goes through the yoga journey without injury, without, as women, without the changes of mm-hmm. pregnancy, of, of um, postpartum. You know, postnatal yoga is a completely mm-hmm. different story. Menopause, yoga around perimenopause and during the menopause is yet another radical change. And and we would be naive yeah. to think that it's a one size fits all. And and, and then, that's that's probably the reason I carry on teaching. Because I'm not right. I'm never bored. You know, like I someone comes in and I go, Oh, oh, I've never heard of this. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. <laughs> and it's amazing that yoga can be adapted for everybody, no matter what conditions, what illness they're going through. Absolutely. So I think 
in that respect, and, and hopefully what I'm about to say doesn't offend people. I, mm-hmm. I think that certain yoga styles are less easy to adapt than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the more dynamic, more athletic yoga mm-hmm. styles or hot yoga, something, something where people are following a script or following a set mm-hmm. sequence, that's potentially mm-hmm. a lot harder to adapt. Mm-hmm. If you've got a group of students and if you've got one or two people with very different needs, but in, mm-hmm. in maybe classical yoga or some of the other approaches where you break down the poses and there is time to build up and there is time to get props and everything, then, then um, I find the diversity of needs in a group to actually be what brings richness to everyone's individual practice and experience. Mm. Because on the one hand, it breaks the notion of the pose should look one way. Mm-hmm. And it invites us back into the, how does it feel? You know, and again, like I was saying earlier, not yoga as an achievement, not yoga as, as you know, a picture perfect pose, but how does it feel? What are the sensations in your body? What's the outcome of those sensations? And that's really, for me, that's really the, 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 the greatest gift in, in, meeting Matthew Sanford and starting to learn from Matthew. I, I remember so the first workshop I attended with him was September or October 2011. And, um, and a week before going to, to, to his workshops, I was already I'm trying to figure, how is this guy going to teach? You know, he's, he's in a wheelchair, he's paraplegic, he's been paraplegic since the age of 13. He's never done yoga in a fully able body. Mm-hmm. How is he going to do this? And what I realized, Kate, was that the measure of my success, inverted commas, in yoga poses was only following the sensation of pain. That was the only reference mm-hmm. I had. Does it mm-hmm. hurt yet? <laughs> I was chasing the pain. Does it hurt yet? And and how mm. far can I push in that pain? No wonder mm. I'd been injuring myself for years. Mm. And then I came I came to to study with Matthew, who was kind of putting it upside down and saying, Well, what does grounding feel like? What does the sense of space in the body feel like? What does the sense of expansion? What's balance feeling like? Is balance um an achievement or is balance a sensation? Mm. And and the, the the outcome of that was that it really freed me up. I don't care. Mm. I really don't care about whether my head is on my shin bone in, in Janusha Shasna or not. Mm. But I'm fully immersed into the process, into the experience of how well am I taking care of myself in the process of the pose. And that's where that's where I really believe there is scope. There is scope to teach anyone who comes into your class. Mm. And it's a very different perspective. You mentioned props briefly, because if we think about how a traditional normal class would see props, they'd say, "Okay, I, the teacher, 
I have got a good yoga practice. That's in inverted commas, a good practice. So I don't need props to achieve the pose. Now, if you're a beginner, you can use two blocks. If you're intermediate, you use one blocks. And the adepts, you don't need a block. And that's the, the you know, the, how, how we're sort of taught it should be, is that the perfect pose doesn't need the props. But And it's very liberating to use props, even if you don't need them to achieve poses. Because it sort of forms a whole different relationship with a pose. So I'd love to sort of hear how you use them. Yeah, I think you're touching on, we're probably touching on some cultural beliefs. Mm -hmm. I would, I would think the whole, um, the whole notion that that's been there throughout sports that has Mm -hmm. definitely, um, right into the yoga culture that no pain, no gain yeah, mm-hmm. is there with us. Uh, I know, for instance, when, when in class with Matthew Sanford, it's very often that, you know, he, he comes from an Iyengar tradition. And so he does mm-hmm. use props a lot. And he'll often say, if, if someone is sitting for the centering at the beginning of class without using a block, without using a belt or without using sitting on a chair, and you can see the person is already suffering but I've seen mm. people, you know, do yoga and they do the lotus thing. So I'm going to sit like this. I'm going to cross my legs and, mm. and suffer in silence. And you'll say, if you think you're doing more yoga right now, then think again. Yeah. Right. And, and the, the sense, and that's where I was saying earlier on, you know, I realized that I'd been practicing with the notion that unless I was in physical discomfort, I wasn't working hard enough towards the pose. Mm-hmm. Whereas no, actually nowadays, I will use a block under my bum and I will put a belt, if I'm doing swastikasana, I'll put a belt around my lower back and my knees to give me reference. And what it does is that holding from the belt allows me to drop and to let go of the gripping around the hips or the gripping around the base of the spine. And the sense of relief that travels through my body, that travels through the spine, allows the part of me that comes to class in the first place to go, ah, I'm coming home. I don't think home is a place of suffering. No. That's so interesting, isn't it? It's because it's how you feel. And it is, as you say, a yoga into a homecoming, into a feeling of your body rather than an achievement. And so that's where I think, you know, it touches a lot of cultural mm. beliefs. It's like, how, and that's where we can feel very vulnerable and very mm-hmm. potentially emotionally naked in, in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. If, um, if I see sometimes, you know, someone who comes from a completely different approach or, or style of yoga and they come into the room with me and I'm like, in a nutshell, what we're doing here is how much self-love are you ready to give yourself? They mm-hmm. look at me like going, whoa, I came to do headstands and backbends and, you know, maybe we'll do some but maybe we won't like what are you going to feel on the way and so how often in our society today can we with no guilt with no sense of of emotional charge with no sense of the forbidden the taboo Mm. often can we say i am 
dedicating an hour and a half or an hour of my time to fully loving myself or learning to love myself. For me, that is, that is the heart of practice. And I'm okay that, that, that might be just one tiny angle of it. Yoga is, is so incredibly vast and that's part of the beauty and the richness of it. Like and part in my eyes of why it should never become regulated as some, mm-hmm. <laughs> some people are trying to do in the UK, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other debate. It's like actually <laughs> each one of us as a teacher is going to probably develop aspects of yoga that are a result of our personal story, our personal journey. I've got years mm-hmm. of hurting myself with the tools of yoga from the way I've been guided, from the, the, the way I've chosen to be guided. I'm in a mm-hmm. completely different space of saying, if everyday life leaves me physically, emotionally, spiritually in pain, mm-hmm. then what purpose do I want my yoga practice to serve? And if it's, mm-hmm. if it's a purpose, if, if, the outcome of my yoga practice is a moment of self-care, of nurturing. Then how best as a teacher can I learn to share that with my students? Whether we end up doing a headstand or not, for me, it becomes irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I love hanging in my yoga um, sling. Like I love, I love the chance to be upside down. That's a different thing, but you know. And within your process of homecoming, because I think that that's such a beautiful way of describing, of summing up the yoga journey. Do you do yoga nidras and breath work and things like this, as well as the sort of adaptive asana? Um, So I did train with Uma, um, Uma Dismotuli in in yoga nidra. And I love it as a tool for myself. Mm-hmm. And I meditate every morning. That, that um, mm-hmm. That's something I do that sets my day on the right foot. Um, even though it took me years to get into meditation, Kate, oh, my God. Like, I think my initial teacher training was such a boot camp approach. And I'd never done meditation until I went to do this, this nine-month uh, intensive training. And I remember our teacher, we would do an hour of meditation every morning and it was literally, you know, sit tall, close your eyes, Mm. empty your mind. And that was the extent of the instructions. And I was going crazy. Mm. I was falling asleep most of the time, but when I wasn't asleep, I was going absolutely crazy. So I, I resisted meditation for years. And, and in the last few years, I found a bit like with working with Matthew Sanford, I found teachers that were saying, oh, it can be a lot kinder than that, you know, and, Mm -hmm. or a friend who's also a teacher who said to me, think of it like five a day, like the five veg, fruit and veg a day, you know, even if you do five minutes a day, Freddie, start with that. And when that feels comfortable, then build it up. So again, like if, if I sit down to meditate, for me, it's like, how can I allow that moment to be one that ends up feeling soothing? not punishment. So, yeah, so breath work, pranayama, meditation, yoga nidra when I need it, and, and I've mm-hmm. needed it a lot in the last few years. I, I was, uh, I, I got seriously anemic earlier on this year mm-hmm. and ended up needing transfusion. 
Um, so I had zero energy over the period of lockdown and, and last mm. winter. So it's, it's a humbling journey when something in your health starts playing up because mm. then maybe the, the bits of the yoga that you think you liked because they felt more physical, suddenly you've got to leave them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also the joy for me because then I look at my student who's 85 and I think, well, I really hope that at that stage of my life, if I get to 85, I am still in love with practice. I'm still in love with yoga oh. because it takes many forms. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And that's exactly the experience that I had when I was, um, I, I had a nasty car crash and part of my recovery was doing a lot of yoga nidra and breath work. And I couldn't do a physical practice in any sort of recognizable form. But that is a, the yoga nidra and the breath work, they're things that have stuck with me. So in a way, it was a great introduction to these practices, which I wouldn't have done otherwise. Because I used to do very sort of athletic yoga. And it was very nice to be able to be introduced to the quieter stuff. I think, you so, know, it's, it's, mm. it's funny. I mean, if I, if I look back to when I decided to, to go to Australia to become a yoga teacher, and I remember conversations with my friends. I was living in London at the time, and, and it was, so it was 99, so it wasn't long after Madonna had done her spiritual album you know and, I, and mm-hmm. she was telling the world that she was doing ashtanga and i was like i want shoulders like madonna that's why i'm gonna go into yoga <laughs> you know <laughs> and i got the shoulders and that's fine um but it's it's probably for a lot of us like you're describing it takes the moment where where your physicality is under threat for mm-hmm. us to surrender and mm-hmm. and look at what else are the, the ingredients of yoga. And and when I look at adaptive yoga and, and when I listen to, to a teacher like Matthew, um, he will say to us, we will all at some point in our lives need an adapted version of yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, because a hip surgery is going to happen or a dodgy shoulder mm-hmm. is going to happen or burnout is going to happen. And I, I see it at the moment. I don't know, Kate, if that's your experience. Um, and and it, it saddens me um, every time I, I, I get news of someone who's been a student or a friend or a fellow yoga teacher. We're, we're hearing more and more, unfortunately, in the UK and, and abroad of what they call the long COVID. You know, some people who did catch the virus and then three months, five mm. months, six months later are still very unwell. And Absolutely. And what I find interesting is I've had a few students because I'm, I'm starting some face-to-face classes like a lot of us are stepping into here in September. And I've had a few emails in the last couple of weeks of people saying, I could never, I could never consider doing a one-hour class, even your gentle yoga class, because they still really associate yoga with asana. Mm. Whereas, as you said, like the... <gasps> the real healing power of yoga nidra is immense. And so that is also in my eyes, you know, making yoga more inclusive. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because that's how I can see it. Uh, something that's so physically 
emotionally healing and is suitable for every kind of body. And it sort of sometimes makes me mad that there's nothing on Instagram, which is pictures of people sleeping. (laughs) A full hole of blankets and bolsters. Absolutely. Getting really comfy. Yeah. And that's kind of what it should be to me. Yeah, and that and that is where it's that sense of coming home again. Mm-hmm. I've been listening again to um, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of you know I'm sure you feel the same like you in your daily classes, whatever you're reading about, whatever podcast you've been listening to, all of that tends to kind of shape a little bit the mood of the class, mm. and. And it's the notion of how how can we find the tools that help us flow right down from overall the manic lifestyles of our current Western culture mm. and tune back into who am I right now? How do I truly mm. feel from me to me without the social mask? You know, and yeah. I and I really I feel so, so deeply grateful for the space of a yoga practice or the space of a yoga room with other people or my practice mm. at home because I've always felt it was the one place and time of the day where I can be completely emotionally naked in the presence of others and, and go, oh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel rubbish right now. Yeah. And how am I going to take care of it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I and I'd love it if yoga was more of a practice for every single body, whatever time in their life, whatever they're going through at that moment because that's what it's about. And so and I think it's equally just, in that way, like mm. I fully celebrate someone who says to me, I am you know, I am full of beans and I need to do a super dynamic style where I'm challenging the edge all the time. I go, mm-hmm. great, like go for it, enjoy it. You know, I'm not saying yoga should cater to us when we're feeling fragile or vulnerable or wounded. No, mm-hmm. no, it caters to to all the all the variables of, of the human experience. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think on that note of just valuing every single human experience, I wanted to thank you, Freddie, for all that you do within the world of yoga to really help everybody feel included wherever we're at. Thank you. Thank you. I, I... There's a there's a quote that comes to mind right away from from the Dalai Lama who says I'm just a simple monk, and <laughs> and so if he says I'm just a simple monk, like the the thing I'm going to say for sure is I'm just a simple teacher in that way. You know, I've I've been very lucky to to be guided and inspired by, by people who walked this path before me and have done so greatly. Um, and then, and then I also feel blessed, Kate, mm. by the gift of my students. I have mm. learned so much from working with adaptive students. I've learned 
I've learned a lot more about the subtle body or the subtlety of the yoga practice than working with mm. maybe someone who's an amputee or someone who's a wheelchair user than, than yeah. I may have from a fully able-bodied, more aesthetic yoga student. And so um, I think it's a, the, the expression isn't coming, you know, but it, it, you're going to, you're going to know the expression. It, it levels the ground, you know, it's like actually yeah. at the end of the day, when we're on a yoga mat, whatever shape, whatever size, whatever age, whatever state of health to the mat with, there is a practice that is suited is a practice mm-hmm. that is appropriate is a practice that can support your well-being if you choose to mm. that's so beautiful <laughs> and I on can... that end i think that um you know after two recording sessions this has been well worth it thank you so I... thank you freddie thank, thank you. you so that's much for your time and and freddie how can people find you you can find me um, simply directly through my website, which is Yogi mm-hmm. Freddy. Freddy spells with double E at the end. It's the it's my French name, mm-hmm. not Freddy like the little boys with double D I E. Um, Yogi <laughs> Freddy, <laughs> um, or on on Facebook as well. Facebook, my website, and Instagram all have the same Perfect. the same name, which is Yogi Freddy, and. Uh, I'm going to start being a bit more active again amongst um, the Facebook yoga teacher groups to to prepare. Um, of course, you know, just before lockdown, I, I had um, adaptive yoga teacher trainings lined up and, and all of that is gone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm now opening myself to how can I still share those gifts, maybe via online classes, online workshops mm-hmm. with teachers, until we're allowed to be in the room together. And I really look forward to that because I don't know for you, I miss touch. I miss Mm -hmm. being able to do partner work to adjust one another. I miss sharing information beyond language. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so there's more. There's more coming up, adaptive classes and adaptive yoga teacher trainings. Cool. Well, thank you. I look forward to um, taking a delve into that. Yes, it will be a pleasure. And, uh, and you know, there's room also for um, more adaptive yoga classes to happen online, which is another way we can reach mm. more students who may not always yeah. be able to leave home. Well, that's a, that is a tricky thing. I always say that the yoga nidra, the breath work, that's something that everybody can do. My worry with doing it online is that everybody is at such a particular circumstance. I worry about the safety aspect, especially <laughs> if there's no teacher to talk them through. And, and, and uh, it, to, to take safety. I agree with yeah. you. And, and, and that's why um, in the last few months of doing classes over Zoom, I've chosen mm. to work with people that I already know. Mm-hmm. Because... I know that they 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 trust that our body. I've been in the room with them. I know mm. their bodies. I know their personalities a little bit, and hopefully, mm. it helps me guide them safely. Because it's harder. Yeah. I see it in in my general classes on Zoom. You know, 
most of my students are comfortable doing shoulder stand and then I've got two, three, mm-hmm. four or five who've never done a shoulder stand and they're getting a bit of patient. They're like, well, when am I going to be able to do it, Freddie? And I'm like, I may be wrong, but I, I'm I'm going to say wait till we're in the room together. <laughs> well, it's better to be safe. I'd rather. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, because I think so. there so- are many other things that can be done. There are, and we have chair yoga classes for people who are sitting on a chair, but I'm also very aware that there's very many people with that need a more intensive adaptability. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's not um, just about sitting I'm on a chair. Do, I'm going to do next month, I'm going to do an extra training with Matthew Sanford. They, they've been mm. very busy at Mind-Body Connections. Um, Mind Body mm. Solutions, sorry, in, in Minneapolis. They've been very busy mm. trying to figure how to modify the way they were teaching because when we teach an adaptive mm. class, it's a lot of hands-on adjustment and support. Yes. Yeah, adjustment may not be the right word. It's support, it's reference mm. for the person to feel that sense of grounding and from there they can open up into the body, into the space. Mm. How do we teach that across the screen? Mm. But it's an interesting. But as teachers, we've all evolved. Like we, we we're not teaching. Uh, you know, I'm sure you you don't teach the way you did when you first started. Mm-hmm. So this might be mm-hmm. the next frontier for us to explore. Sure. And and we might well, come away saying it doesn't work. Yeah, we might come away saying certain things need to be face to face, like a good hug. Yeah. absolutely absolutely Freddie well thank you so so much you're very welcome it's been a pleasure it really has and take good care of yourself you too and we'll speak again I'm sure we'll speak soon yeah lots of love bye lots of love bye Hi, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Freddie Sade. I must say there were so many things for me to think about. She's got so many interesting points about what adaptive yoga could be and what inclusivity is and how each of us as teachers, as students, can make not only our yoga practice but our daily life more appropriate for our specific time in life for our homecoming to our real selves, how we can reveal our authenticity, I think, and how, how yoga can be a gateway to, to our real lives, to the next stage and the lives which we're all really living and not sort of the shapes which are prescribed by social media. So um, <laughs> thank you very, very much for listening in. I do hope that you have subscribed to Movement for Modern Life with, of course, the breath work, the yoga nidra, the um, many challenges which are suitable for many different bodies. Um, It's a lovely place for, I think, everybody to make a start on a yoga practice. Um, So do sign up to our free 14-day trial. It's movementformodernlife.com and it will be lovely to see you um, joining our community. All right, until next time.